This week I had a note from a friend and a parishioner, and in that note she confessed that she was no longer sure that she could believe the teachings of the church, even as at the same time she remained passionately committed to this community of all saints. Well, today we're baptizing a number of people into the community of the church, and it's a community that is wonderful, but I'm aware that we put up all kinds of stumbling blocks to commitment along the way. And not least among those stumbling blocks, at least for modern sensibilities, in which we are painfully aware of how religious differences are part of the bloody conflict in our world, not least are claims by, made by some Christians to ex an exclusive corner on God's truth and on God's grace. And one of the primary places, one of the primary justifications for those claims is found in Peter's speech to the rulers and the elders and the scribes and the family of the scribes and the high priest and his mother and his sister and his cousins and his aunts. And I mean, the point is, everybody was there. And Peter says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name other than Jesus under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. So let's take a look at what's going on before we build a theological empire that allows crusades and bloodshed and dominance over others and all in the name of God. Peter had done a simple act of kindness, a mitzvah. He had healed a lame beggar outside the temple. That's all it was. In the name of Jesus, he had healed him. And the people started treating Peter like some sort of some sort of healer, as if the power was his own. And he kept saying, no, 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 this power is God's. This is done in the name of Jesus, who shows us God. And the authorities started getting really in a tizzy, as often happens when God's grace starts happening in ways that seem to include people and do things that are out of the structures and systems that we know what they are and we know what we can control them. And so they put Peter and his companions under house arrest and the next morning is where our story picks up. And Peter is in front of the whole uh, bastion of the authorities. And he's been talking about God's grace and God's generosity and God's mercy and God's healing power. He's been talking about Jesus and Jesus' resurrection. And what do the authorities want to know about? They don't want to know about meaning. They don't want to know about purpose. They don't want to hear the story. What is their question about? Their question is about power. They want to know about power. By what power or by what name did you do this? They wanted people to be faithful, yes, but under their tutelage and their control. And so instead of asking questions about resurrection and God's grace, they enter into conversation about power. Incidentally, trying to have a conversation about power with people you have arrested is slightly ironic. <laughs> and so on this basis, many Christians say we have a corner on God's truth. Well, woe to those Christians who rather than bearing witness to God's grace would rather exclude and condemn and control others and demand a certain way of thinking Woe to those who resort to threat and force rather than invitation that mirrors the gracious generosity of God. Woe to those who resist the expansive love of God when it seems to rock our worlds, doing things of which we don't approve, perhaps including in the possibility of God's grace those people, whoever they are. 
within the love and mercy of God. This passage is not about my power versus yours. It's not about Peter's power versus the authority's power. It's, it's, it's about God's power above and beyond all of our systems, all of our ways of organizing our experience. And Peter's experience of God's grace came through the story of Jesus, which he proclaims and which he tells and to which he bears witness fearlessly, but without rancor, without threat, without intimidation, without coercion, just generously as God was generous. So back to my friend with her problem with believing the teachings of the church. More often than not, I find that there is a misapprehension both of belief and what the teachings of the church are. And if those misapprehensions, if they exist, are partly due to the history of the church in which we have tried to control one another. And so many people, many labor under the idea that when we say the creeds, for example, we are meant to be giving intellectual assent to a lot of propositions that we find improbable or dodgy at best. And there have certainly been times in our history when authorities have suggested that such intellectual assent is exactly what it's about and they have, that assent has to be exactly in the way intended by the people at the time of the councils who formulated the creeds, as if we could enter their philosophical imaginative world and as if that was desirable even if we could do it. That's not what it is. Suddenly the effort to become clear about the meaning of the story of God in Jesus which is worked out over centuries, carefully worked out, becomes a power tool in the hands of controlling humans. See, when we say, I believe, or we believe, we're saying something not like, I now intellectually commit to the details of these propositions. We're saying something more like, I put my trust in. Or perhaps we're saying something like, I beloved, which is the same root of the word. I take as my beloved. And so the creeds become something, become the bare bones of the outline of the story by which we receive appropriate witness and make sense of the abundant grace of God. Of course this involves our intellect as it involves the whole of our being. But it's not about some grand institution demanding or enforcing intellectual assent or more likely the pretense of it for the alleged safety of God and stability of society, or something like that. Belief in the teachings of the church need not be a stumbling block to faith once we unhinge it from intellectual assent to dodgy propositions and return to the more relational act of placing our trust in God, bearing witness to the good news that we have received. There is, of course, much more that could be said, but for now, what we do is rejoice in making new Christians who join the whole body in finding life and grace and hope and the generosity of God in the midst of this community of faith. Acts of generosity do not have to be a threat to power, although sometimes there will be. And such mitzvot, such acts of kindness, are on display in this community more than any one single one of us will ever know or see. And it's individuals and it's groups and it's committees. It comes through structures comes through acts of kindness. A scared and unemployed man volunteers to help with our canvas. A woman has donated a kidney to a stranger. Many of you know who these people are. 
Another woman not part of any formal ministry cared for an elderly man with no relatives until he died and then closed what little estate he had left. Our finance committee increases giving to those in need. A family befriends a refugee family, formerly at first, and then finds real friendship blossoms. The committee digs in their own pockets when there was enough money to make a gift to an AIDS ministry. Our vestry did this. This is the kind that actually shakes power. Our vestry did this in 2003 when it decided that lesbian and gay parishioners should be encouraged to celebrate their commitments in the midst of this, their community of faith, a generous act that has sent the authorities into a tizzy. A single woman supports financially and anonymously a family in trouble. A man in this parish has educated uh, all the way through high school and college and now to graduate school, a student that he met on a mission trip, as others of you have done with refugee families. This is the stuff of life. This is the generosity of God made manifest. That these and hundreds and thousands of kindnesses and miracles like them are the marks of grace in this community who put our trust in God, creator of heaven and earth, and who take as our beloved Jesus, the Christ, in whom there is health and there is salvation. Amen.